Good morning. Welcome to the Oasis. We are glad you're here with us this morning. And if you're here with us today, we are starting a new series on Sunday mornings in the book of 1 John. So if you'd like to follow along, it's toward the end of your New Testament. In fact, John wrote not only the Gospel of John, but 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and of course the book of Revelation. But for the next eight weeks, we're going to be in his letter of 1st John. John gets right into it, so we're going to do the same. Let's remember something that I think will help us navigate this letter, and that is that John was one of Jesus' closest associates, companions, and disciples while he was here on earth. It was John who laid his head on the chest of Jesus during the Last Supper. It was John that Jesus entrusted his own mother and the care of his mother Mary to after he died and went back to heaven. He had a special relationship with John, and John obviously had a special fellowship with Jesus. And John doesn't spend a lot of time here on introductions. He just dives right into it. So again, we're going to do the same. Look at the first four verses with me of 1 John chapter 1. He says to his audience, this is what we proclaim. What was from the beginning, what we heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He says, and this life was revealed, and we have seen and testify and announced to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. John says in verse 3, we have seen, we have heard, and we announce to you too so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Thus we are writing these things so that you may have complete joy. Joy that is complete. That's what I want us to focus on this morning, joy. John is telling us in verse 4 that God came for our joy. Let's talk for a moment about what joy is. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. It is produced supernaturally within us as we yield to the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is a gift from God. And God came so that you and I could experience infinite, complete, ecstatic joy every day of our lives on earth. He came that our joy might be full Joy is not based on circumstances or on our life situation. Joy is based on unchanging spiritual realities, things that won't change from day to day. And God says, I want you to have joy. I think to myself, how many times in our own lives do we live every day on earth not experiencing the joy that God came for us to have? 
And I'll say this, I think far too often as Christians, we settle for a life much less than what God wants for us. And we're very passive about it. Days and weeks and months and even maybe years can go by where we're not experiencing this joy that God came for us to experience as his children and it's like we're okay with it. I'm okay that I'm not joyful. I'll just sort of get used to this new normal in my life of not being a joyful Christian or not being at a place where I'm even willing to do anything to make any kind of change or transition in my life or make a decision or a choice that could make the difference between me experiencing the joy that God came for me to have and not experiencing it. I won't ask you to identify yourself this morning, but if I was to ask the question even this morning as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are you right now in your life experiencing complete joy? I would hope every one of us could say, yes, I am. But if not, why not? God came for our joy, not happiness. Happiness is something that's based on our circumstances and our life situation. Happiness is something that's very fleeting and that can come and go. Joy is something that's constant, that is eternal. Joy is something we never have to lose. But John does tell us in this passage, from chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 2, the passage we're going to look at this morning, he tells us three things about joy. He says, first of all, in the first four verses that we've uh, declared this morning, that the source of our joy, the source of our joy is fellowship. We're going to talk about that. Then he goes on in verses 5 and 10 to tell us that the path to joy is walking in the light and confessing our sin. And finally, the basis for our joy is found in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's talk for a moment about the source of our joy. He says in verse 3, before he talks about us having complete joy, and that's why he's writing this letter to all of us as Christians, he says, what we have seen, what we have heard, we want to announce to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We've tried to define a little bit about what joy is, but we also need to define what fellowship is. Because many times as Christians, we sort of reduce fellowship to describing a meal that we have with each other. We're having a fellowship meal as Christians. And you know what? We can have a fellowship meal and call it that as Christians, and we can walk out of that fellowship meal never having experienced fellowship. Let me tell you why. Because biblically, here's what God defines fellowship as. Fellowship is connection. Fellowship is communion. Fellowship is intimacy. Fellowship is sharing life together. Fellowship is participating with each other. You and I can share a meal just like many people do today, especially when they have their technology out, and they can be occupying the same space, and they can get up from their meal or their time together and know no more about each other than they did when they come in. They can have no more of a deeper connection with each other than when they started, and that's not fellowship as far as God's concerned. Amen. 
See, fellowship is really getting together with God, living life every day with him, not just knowing about him, but truly knowing him and walking hand in hand with him every day, just like John did as one of Christ's followers. It's closeness, it's communion, it's skin on skin, if you will. That's fellowship. And John is telling us here, that's the source of our joy. First of all, it starts with our fellowship with God. So that's why many Christians are really not experiencing the joy of the Lord. Because they have a relationship with God, but they do not maintain fellowship with God. That's why you'll notice, and we're going to get a little ahead of ourselves here, but if you go down to verses 6 through 10 in that same passage, notice the bunch of ifs that John uses. If this in verse 6, but if in verse 7, if in verse 8, but if in verse 9, and then verse 10, if. Why the ifs? Because unlike being saved, unlike becoming a Christian that is a free gift of God uh, that is given to us and all we have to do is by faith believe, unlike God's love for us, which is totally unconditional, fellowship is conditional. You see, someone can have a relationship with God but not be in fellowship with God. Because again, fellowship is closeness. Fellowship is communion. Fellowship is partnership. Fellowship is sharing life together. Fellowship is doing life together. It's making deep connections. And notice here that John is saying in the first four verses, that's the source of our joy. Not only fellowship with God, but then notice what he says in verse 3. Even before he talks about the fellowship with the Father and the Son, he says, so that you may have fellowship with us. Because that should also be a source of our joy as Christians is to have fellowship with some other Christian believers. And let me say this. Just like with Jesus here on earth, you and I cannot have fellowship with every Christian any more than they can have fellowship with us. Because you and I can't, we don't have the time, the energy, the effort to be able to be that close to every other Christian. And God doesn't expect us to be that close same, have that same closeness, that same communion. But he does expect us that if we are in fellowship with him, that we will be drawn into fellowship with at least a handful of other Christians in the same way. And that, that those kind of relationships will also be a source of joy to us. Amen. That's why, can I just say, I reject this whole notion that some Christians have when they start talking about you know, things, and, and I'm not saying that there's no reality to it to a point, but like they get jealous of, of a group of Christians who are closer to each other than they are. Well, guess what? Get your own group. Because guess what? That group's in fellowship with each other. Don't, don't bemoan that. That's a good thing. Because again, you and I can't be in fellowship with every Christian the way the Bible defines fellowship. We can only be that close to a few people. Think of Jesus. He had 12 disciples, and even out of those 12, he had three that was part of his inner circle. And guess who one of those three was? John, Peter, James, and John. And then he had a few others that were really dear to him. They were called Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Outside of that group on earth, even Jesus in his human form wasn't in fellowship with too many more people. But God does expect us to be in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. 
but it's born out of our fellowship with him. And John is telling us, you want to experience the joy of the Lord? You want to have every day infinite ecstatic joy that just pulses through your being based on, again, unchanging spiritual realities no matter what your life circumstances or your situation is? You want to have that inner sense of well-being that you and God got this and that you're on your way to glory and that your sins have been forgiven and that you're a child of God and you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in, in heavenly places in Christ and that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Can I get an amen? Yes. That's joy. That's joy. And John says, that's where it starts. But then in verses 5 through 10, John wants to talk to us about the path to joy. Because if the source of joy is fellowship with God and fellowship with a few other believers, John goes on to say this beginning in verse 5. He says, now this is the gospel message we heard from him. Notice here in the first couple of verses of chapter 1 and then in this verse in verse 5, again, John's testifying to all these things because of the closeness that he had with Christ. We touched him. We saw him. We heard him. We were right there. So John's not giving us something second or third hand. John's saying, I got this from the master himself. I, I felt his breath. I was right there with him. I heard his heartbeat when I laid my head on his chest. That's how close I was to Jesus. His physical closeness mirrored his spiritual closeness to the master. And John says, now this is the gospel message we heard from him, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If you and I say we have fellowship with him, but we keep walking in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth, John says. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we do not bear the guilt of sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, forgiving us of our sins and cleansing us from all right, unrighteousness. Then verse 10, but if we say we've not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. See, here John is saying, first of all, he's saying, if we want to fellowship with God, we've got to walk in the light. We can't walk in darkness. Sin does matter, even in the life of a Christian. Why? Because relationship, not conditional. Fellowship with God, conditional. And so many Christians, going back, why are we not joyful? Because we're not in fellowship with God. Why are we not in fellowship with God? We're not walking in the light. We're walking in darkness. And John says, sin matters. It does. You as a Christian, I as a Christian, we can't say I'll just live however I want to and make whatever decisions I want to and go my own way and it not affect my fellowship. John says, oh, no, that, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself. See, again, we can be in a relationship with God and that will never be taken away. 
because our relationship with God is not based on what we do or what we don't do. That is a free gift that God gives us. But John says, you want to be in fellowship with God? You want to maintain fellowship with God? Then you and I need to learn to walk in the light as he himself, John says, verse 7, is in the light. We need to be willing to expose our life to the light of God each and every day to walk under his authority and his word and all of that and have the Holy Spirit who lives within us light up our life and live in his light. And his light is so empowering and his light brings clarity to our life rather than confusion. And there's so much wonder of living in the light of God. And, and for those of you that live in his light, as I, as I do, you understand where I'm coming from. There's nothing like living in the light of God. But then there's sort of another side to that. And that is when you and I are willing to live in the light, guess what? It lights up everything. It, it brings, it exposes stuff there that needs to be dealt with. And that's part of the reason why even Christians don't want to walk in the light. They want to stay in the darkness. That's why most crime, you realize, is committed at night, right? Because even humanly, we think that somehow if we do it in the dark, nobody's ever going to know, right? Nobody's ever going to find out. We do the same thing as Christians when we choose to walk in darkness rather than as light. And here's the reason, because there will be times, and John doesn't pull any punches, where there's going to be some uncomfortableness, though, when we walk in the light. Yes, we're close to God, but remember, he's a holy God. He's a righteous God, and therefore, if we're going to walk in, in, in his light, he's going to show up some things that are there. And John says, ah. Oh, yeah, but John says instead of denying it, instead of pretending like these issues aren't there, instead of calling our sin things like shortcomings and hang-ups, instead of pointing the finger at other people and blaming them, John says just own it. Just take responsibility for what God lights up in your life. Because guess what? From John's perspective and even from God's perspective, our sins are more pardonable than the excuses we use to hide them. John says God is all willing to be merciful and to forgive you of your sins if you and I as human beings and even as his children would just own up to it. But just like little children that we have and grandchildren, our hands caught in the cookie jar and instead of saying, yeah, God, you're right. Because that's all confession is. It's just agreeing with God that what we've done is sin. And even as Christians, we don't even want to use that word anymore. We've invented all these other words to replace the word sin. Because we bought into the culture and the world that we live in. There is no sin anymore. We don't talk about sin. But God says to us, you want to stay in fellowship with me and experience this infinite ecstatic joy that I came to give you? Then you'll be willing to walk in my light. And when my light exposes something that needs to be dealt with, you'll just confess it. Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs, he that covers his sin will not prosper, but the one who confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. And isn't that what John says? John says we can deny it, 
We, we can point fingers. We can call it everything except what it is. We cannot own it and not take responsibility for it. And yet John says in verse 9, but if we confess, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that our fellowship can be brought back together again. So that that distance that you and I feel, even though there's no distance really there, that that distance that we feel, that separation from God can be restored and healed again and we can be back in fellowship with God. Amen. See, John's not talking about our relationship. He's talking about fellowship here. He's not talking about losing our salvation. He's talking about broken fellowship. You can see this on a human level. I've used this illustration before when I've talked about this very subject. I am Bob and Shirley Royce's son, Jeff. And there's not anything that I could have ever done or ever will do to change the fact that I am their son. I was born as their son into their family. But as I was growing up, if you know some of the stories that I've shared over the years, there were many times where Jeff broke fellowship with my parents, where me and my parents, we, were, we weren't on good terms together, where Jeff had some harebrained idea and he went out and did it and my parents were not pleased because I ended up either hurting myself or hurting somebody else. See, that's fellowship. You and I can have a relationship with somebody but not be in fellowship with them. And John is saying, let's not be in relationship with the God who loves us more than anything else and wants to bring ecstatic joy into our life and miss out on it the whole time we're on earth simply because we are unwilling to go the path of joy and to walk in his light daily and then to confess our sins and to own up to what is we need to deal with in our life and to have God deal with it because Part of why out of his love, God wants us to walk in his light and have these things exposed is so we'll deal with it, be able to bring this to some kind of closure and, and to overcome it and, and to, to deal with it, to be able to move past it and move beyond it rather than continuing to cycle around that wheel over and over and over again like many people do. What do they do? They just, this is their life. It's just one cycle after another. They just keep going back to the same thing. And it might take a little bit longer, but, you know, inst instead, of, instead of really being able to get past something, and it's because they never really look in the mirror and they never really walk in the light long enough to really just say, you're right, God, it's me. Instead of me pointing the fingers at everybody else and blaming them, instead of me not owning it and taking responsibility for it, God, the reason I am not experiencing your joy has nothing to do with anything else or anybody else. It's me, God. I got to get right with you, and you're showing me how to do it, and I'm not willing to go that way. Amen. So if the source of our joy this joy that God came for us to experience is fellowship. Starting with fellowship with him and then leading to fellowship with some brothers and sisters in Christ. And the path to our joy is walking in his light and confessing sin. Then John shares in the first two verses of chapter 2 
The basis for joy is the cross of Christ. Notice what he says. And he begins with this very tender term. He says, my little children. Now, he's talking to adults here. And he's not just talking to young baby Christians. He's talking to some mature believers. So why does he use that term, my little children? Because it's a term of great love and affection. John is saying, oh, and you realize how much you are loved by God and how much you are loved by me, right? And then he says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. See, John is reminding us, if I'm not experiencing the joy of God, it's my choice because God came for me to be joyful. Joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. If I'm not joyful, then it's on me. And it doesn't have to remain that way. I choose to not be joyful as a Christian. I choose not to walk in his light. I choose not to confess my sin when the Holy Spirit convicts me. That's on us. But then John goes on to say, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the whole world. Let's unpack these couple of verses for a moment. First of all, John says, do you realize that when you and I sin, if we would just own it and take responsibility for it, that God's not against us, God's for us. And the whole reason why God in his light, as light, wants to expose our sin is so we can deal with these things and be able to experience the abundant life that Jesus Christ came to give us, including joy being one of the big Propon uh, 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 parts of that, if you will. That's why God wants us to walk in his light. But John says, if we fall, and we're going to, because we're not going to be perfect, John says, God's not up there ready to beat us with some big baseball bat and whack us over the head. No, John says, we have an advocate with the Father. Great word, great word. It's a word that is related to the word for the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside of us. <laughs> and don't miss what John is saying here. He's painting a beautiful picture. He's saying, so picture a courtroom and picture a judge and maybe someone is accusing you of something. Someone's brought up charges. He says, do you realize as a child of God as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that your whole earthly life, as the enemy accuses, and maybe even as your own heart accuses you, and all of these things, that you have a defense attorney standing beside you each and every moment, and that defense attorney is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself who died on the cross for you and I? And that he stands there beside of us and he says to all who accuse us, not guilty because I died for them. Amen. I took the punishment. I'm the one that went to the cross as their substitute. I took their sin in their place and they are forgiven forever. Amen. That's what the advocate that we have before the Father. See, that's why no one can ever bring up anything to us. 
I don't care whether it's the devil or who it is. Jesus is always going to say, look at my hands, look at my side, look at my scars. I died for them. They are forgiven forever. Everything they've ever done is done. It's forgiven. Because it's never about relationship with John here. He's specifically talking to Christians about our fellowship, which is why he's saying, don't you realize how much God loves you? And that the whole reason he wants to light up our life is so that we'll see these things and so we'll deal with them so we can experience the best life we possibly could. It's not because he's trying to, you know, discourage us or, or make us feel guilty or make us live in shame all our life. It's just the opposite. It's so we can experience joy. Amen. Real joy that only comes from intimate fellowship with God. And then John goes on to say this. He says in verse 2, and he himself, speaking of Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We could get into a lot of theology here, but basically what John is saying is that we even as Christians have to remember that God has an unchanging standard, that God is a holy God, and that as a holy God, sin does have to be dealt with, which is why, interestingly, in verse 9, when he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Instead of, you and I would probably think, shouldn't it be faithful and kind or faithful and merciful or faithful and gracious? No, John says, faithful and righteous. Because as a holy God, sin has to be dealt with or else he ceases to be holy. And therefore, that's part of why Jesus, the one who knew no sin, had to come and become sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him because sin did have to be dealt with. Somebody had to pay for sin. And Jesus says, I love them so much, I'll pay for their sin. And because of who he was in his character, he was the perfect substitute He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the one who could die and literally live up to the standard that God was looking for. Because you and I could never do enough good works. We could never be enough in ourselves to measure up to that holy standard. Only Jesus Christ could take our place. But then notice what John goes on to say. This blows me away. He says, oh, and he's the atoning sacrifice not just for our sin, He's the atoning sacrifice for all the sins of all the people in the world. In other words, John is saying not everybody's going to be saved, but if from the beginning of time, if every human being that was ever born wanted Jesus as their Savior, they wanted forgiveness of sin, they wanted a relationship and fellowship with God, they wanted to experience joy. John is saying, do you realize our Savior is so great, so magnificent, so awesome, that his sacrifice is so sufficient that every human being that was ever born, if they wanted Jesus to be their Savior, Jesus was sufficient to save them. And that his blood was so powerful that it would have wiped out every sin that's ever been committed on planet Earth. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus Christ is. 
that there would have never been any sin, no matter how heinous, no matter how many sins were committed, that Jesus' blood is not sufficient to cover. And so I say to you this morning, maybe there's even someone here this morning, you have never been bought by the blood of Jesus. You've never been redeemed. You've never been set free. You've never known as a human being what it's like to have that burden and shame of guilt lifted off of you by the blood of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you today, you come and you let Jesus save you because there's nothing like a soul set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you may have been told or taught or even in your own head thinking, well, I've done too much. I've went too far. I, I, I've, I've done this and all. No, for the whole world, John said. For the whole world. So I know it's hard, but as we begin to take our minds to what we're going to do here in a few minutes as believers in Jesus Christ and partake of these very precious elements that, that symbolizes his broken body and his shed blood. Let's begin to, to ask the Lord, Lord, give me a renewed appreciation for my Savior. Give me a renewed gratefulness for the blessings that I have in Jesus Christ that my sin is forgiven, that, that it will never be brought up to me again that God has cast all of my sins, past, present, and future, into the depths of the sea, that God has separated us from our sins as far as the east is from the west, and that we have an advocate with the Father always, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen. And that that is the basis for our joy is the love of God that drew Jesus from heaven down to this earth to take upon himself the one who knew no sin to become sin for us. That's love, my friends. We should never doubt how much God loves us. All you and I should have to think about for just a moment is the cross of Christ. And we go, yep, yep, God loves me. Because why would a holy God why would a perfect God, why would a God who knew no sin be willing to take upon himself all of my sin and all everybody else's sin if he didn't love me so much? And not only want me to have a relationship with him, but want me to have fellowship with him. To remove any barrier, any hindrance of me getting as close to God as I, a human being, can get so that the closer I get to God, the more joy I will experience because the Word of God says, in your presence, God is fullness of joy. Amen. And if you know what I'm talking about as a Christian, you know that those moments in your life when you felt so close to God, they were also the most joyful moments you and I as a human being could ever experience. And why then do we ever want to leave his presence? Why do we ever want to go our own way and not walk in his light and be willing to confess our sins when the result of walking as close as we can to God means ecstatic, infinite, unending joy? The joy that only God can give us as a human being. John gets right into it, doesn't he? But see, I think John had a, a fellowship with God that was so precious. 
and in a sense, like you and I sometimes, if we've experienced something, and I'm going to use something as really very beneath what we're talking about just to illustrate it, but it just shows how we as human beings get excited about the smallest things, and yet here's the biggest thing on the table that we maybe don't get as excited about. How many times as a human being do maybe we go out to eat somewhere, new restaurant, and man, we got there, and it was great, a great space, great ambiance, the service was amazing. The food was amazing. Guess what we do as a human being? We can't wait to tell some of our closest friends or family members, hey, have you ever been there? You check that out. Why? Because we, you know, we, we just can't keep it to ourselves, right? We want others to experience that same thing. And yet here we are as Christians. Each of us, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we could be experiencing this unbelievable joy that John talks about, this complete joy in verse 4. And if we have experienced it, why aren't we more like John and wanting to share it with others of how that can happen? Because that's why you'll notice in this passage we looked at today, he starts talking about announcing. And then he talks about proclaiming. And then he talks about writing it down. Why is John using these terms, announce, announce, write, proclaim? Because John can't keep it to himself. It's like, I've experienced this wonderful fellowship with God that brings me joy every day. I can't keep it to myself. i got to share it with somebody else. Oh, that we as Christians would do that too. That, that'd be a witness that nobody could stamp out. Christians running around so full of joy and people going, what is up with them? I've just been in fellowship with God all day. Yeah, there's going to be people thinking you're crazy, but there just might be one other person that goes, boy, I'd like to experience that kind of joy. I'll say this one more time, and then we'll transition to the Lord's table this morning. And I'm speaking to myself when I say this, not just to you. Far too often in our lives, we as Christians settle, settle for much less than what God wants for us. We're willing to live off of the, the crumbs <laughs> rather than sitting at the king's table every day and feasting in fellowship with him. Well, guess what? King's table's been set for us today. And the king said, I came and I died for you, and I want you to remember my sacrifice so that you will be encouraged, so that you will remember how much I love you, so that you will remember that you have an advocate with the Father, so that you will remember I came so that you might experience joy, and so as we get ready in the next few moments to be served the bread and the cup this morning, let's remember as we hold these in our hands, this is why Jesus came. It wasn't just to have a relationship with him. It wasn't just to have our sins forgiven. It wasn't just to even have fellowship with him. It's so that our fellowship with him each and every day could lead to experience joy. Joy that only God can 
bring into our life.